Jeff Maniac Show. I'm listening to another 2022 episode of the Shop Talk Show, barreling down the information superhighway to episode 500. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Yeah, man, 497. Feels good. We have a guest now. Uh, you know, at the end of last year, we were, there was a lot of Chris and Dave episodes we were trying to get through. Because, you know, it's easier to schedule, but we are committed to bringing you people that are much smarter than us to this show to liven things up a little bit and be able to talk about with more intelligence some of these things that we bring up, you know. Sometimes me and not that, you know, Dave's very smart. Smart, but I'm sometimes I just run my mouth about stuff. I have no business oh, no, doing. I so. run my mouth, Chris. Let's, <laughs> let's not let's not oversell the dynamic we provide. <laughs> so, uh, so we have uh, 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 an amazing guest on us to talk about. The, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about native apps. You know, the things like let's say you're going to build one for uh, your iOS device, the thing that you're going to write in Swift or whatever, or write code that gets compiled to Swift or whatever, and then put on the Apple Store, or if you're writing one uh, for Android, you're going to write in Java and you're going to write one of those or whatever, the, the native languages of the platforms that for whatever reason, those platforms really want you to write in or and and kind of like versus, I guess, although I don't want to necessarily set this up as a fight, but hey, maybe it's going to end up that way is is building web apps, you know, building an app that can do largely a lot of the stuff that native apps can do. But we'll talk about what the differences are, why you would pick one or the other, you know, and 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 projects that are in place to kind of help push the web part of it forward. Uh, 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 and specifically, one of those things is called Project Fugu. And we have a guest on from Google who's kind of spearheading that. Thomas Steiner. Steiner, sorry. How you doing, Thomas? Welcome to Shop Talk Show. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, I yeah. tried to do the German way and I, didn't, I biffed it. <laughs> Tom, Thomas Steiner. That's the official German way. But like everyone on the internet calls me just Tom or Thomas. Um, Steiner is how I present myself in English. So, yeah, here I am. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You reached out to me, actually, and I was glad to hear from you because I had I just had on my like, I don't know, my mind vine for a while. This kind of like what's up with, you know, native apps versus web apps. I'll say web apps, even though I generally kind of dislike the term because it's all this like, what's a, what really is a web app? And it's so poorly defined and yada, yada, yada. I don't want to get all into that, but you can imagine, you know, you're, you're TikTok or whatever, and you have a choice. Am I going to build a quote unquote native app or am I going to build a web app or am I going to build both? And you don't have to be as big as TikTok to be making that choice. So many companies and businesses are making the choice. Are we going web? Are we going native? Are we going both? What tech is, are we going to pick? What are the trade-offs? How do we decide between those things? And I'm not an expert in it. I don't even have a horse in this race. I built, I like the web. I think the web, I'm very biased, right? I'm not, I, I, I have some guess that the three of us are pretty web forward kind of people. So I didn't exactly bring on somebody to be really pushing the, the native side, although we'll see how this, this plays out. And I wrote a post called, why would a business push a native app over a website? And I kind of listed the things that seemed to me reasons why you might go native, you know, kind of like arguing against myself in a way. Like, what are the most compelling reasons why you might be like, you know what, forget the web, I'm going native. And I, and I listed them all out and, and kind of like almost 
blissfully unaware that there was like entire organizations dedicated to this very cause and kind of in a way fighting against it or whatever. Is that what Project Fugu is or did I mischaracterize it? Tom, can you tell me what Project Fugu is? Well, I would definitely not formulate it in a negative way. So we're not fighting against anything. Um, We're enabling stuff. So Project Fugu is um, allowing you to do everything you want to do on the web platform. So if there is a missing API, um, Project Fugu would work on enabling um, and adding this API to a browser. And ideally, not just to a browser, which means Chrome in the concrete case, but um, to browsers in general. So um, if you wanted to, I don't know, open a file on the web and then save back to this file. Um, in the past, you could, of course, upload a file, make some modifications to it in the browser, and then download the result. Um, if you right. were to then make a further edit, you would have to re-download the thing again. Um, so you, you couldn't just easily have this edit, save, edit, save, edit, save flow. Um, so we were enabling this technology with uh, the File System Access API um, that is implemented in Chrome right now. Um, Apple has started to implement subparts of it. So this is about enabling stuff that was not possible before. Um, there's a whole bunch of application ranges that we want to enable on the web. And um, yeah, this is about enablement. This is not about fighting against Android or Windows or Mac developers. Um, this is really about enabling um, web developers to build applications on the web because we see a lot of companies, big and small, um, as I said in your intro, they're struggling. They're thinking, should we be building Mac? Should we be building Windows? Should we be building you know, iOS and Mac and Android and what have you? And um, at some point, they have to prioritize. Um, why is there no way for them to just build web and by this target all the, uh, all the different platforms? And um, this is what Project Fugu is about in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. That was great. I, I thought I, the, the file system API is such a great example that you brought up. And I think people are seeing it and feeling it a lot lately because, you know, people are so excited about seeing all these examples of like VS code in the browser. And all of a sudden you're like, how the heck does that work? I could just like open a project locally, just go to vscode.dev, open a folder. You can do it right in Chrome or Edge. And then, and I think it, it like, it load, it'll like load up in Safari, right? But then it, it just kind of doesn't give you the option of opening a folder. You can only kind of connect a repo or something. But it, I, I assume that they, that means there's code in place that says, is the file system API supported? Yes. Then show the little open folder button. No, then don't show it. it which enables this class of application that just wouldn't have been possible, what, even a year ago? Um, yeah, probably so. I think it started in Chrome 84. There have been some refinements, some API additions. Um, but yeah, as I said, um, if you open the same app in Safari, um, you should still get something. So I think most of these APIs that we that we talk about are in the sense of uh, progressive enhancement. So you get a baseline experience on any browser, and you should get a perfect experience that is enhanced with the latest and uh, la- sorry, la- latest and greatest features on browsers that support uh, given APIs. And sometimes it's a moving target. So sometimes you start building your application and uh, something is not supported quite yet. And um, because you've built it with progressive enhancement in mind, all of a sudden when um, a new Firefox or Safari technology preview drops and you try your app again, it's like, whoa, all of a sudden things are working just because you have not hard-coded against a user agent. You don't sniff it, um, but you do feature detection. And uh, if all of a sudden feature detection happens to be 
yeah, support it, um, then your app starts working. And uh, I think this is where we want to go with uh, everything that we that we built. So we try to make our stuff um, enhanceable, progressively enhancement uh, enhanceable, so that people can build applications and um, yeah, get a baseline experience everywhere and super cool, amazing experience on um, browsers that support all these APIs. Yeah, I'm so, you know, I have lots of blind spots that I'm sure you see as being a part of this team. Like, like I, all I build is like, you know, pretty, I don't know, what seemed to me is normal websites for the web, not exactly pushing boundaries a lot of times with, with fancy APIs. But let's say you're a game developer or something and you have this really cool game you're working on. I have a I have an Apple TV at home and I use Apple Arcade and once in a while I download games from it and it says this game only works with a controller. So you have to buy one of these third party little controllers that um, Apple doesn't even make one. You know, you got to just buy a third party thing. But they, you know, some of them are supported through, you know, it's I don't even know how it connects. I guess it's Bluetooth. And <laughs> and then you can play the game if you have the third party controller. So sometimes they're progressively enhancement coded and that they'll work with the just the normal remote. And sometimes they're not. And certainly the ones that work both ways are are more fun because you can, you know, you're not limited in your ability to play them at all that would show up on the the web too wouldn't it because there's you know let, let's say you're you know writing a game for a mobile browser and you want to support like a, a controller that maybe it plugs in via usb or something maybe the usb apis are available but the bluetooth ones aren't you could code it in such a way that's like well when when usb support or when bluetooth support drops then my code will start supporting it but until then i'll so, so say that it's required to use USB. Is that kind of thing possible? Um, so on the web, you would have the GamePad API, API that's been around for a very long time. Um, the thing is, it would allow you to, you know, get your um, joysticks and uh, buttons and a um, couple of like advanced rumbling, um, for example, is sort of working. Um, but when you look at um, controllers today, like if you look at um, a Joy-Con controller from from a Switch, um, it has a gyroscope. It has accelerometers inside. Um, this is just stuff that is not supported by the GamePad API. Um, you could still use a Joy-Con controller with the GamePad API, so there's some compatibility layer. Um, but if you wanted to actually get access to the gyroscope, um, you would have to talk to the um, controller in a different way. And this is what um, the WebHit API supports. So I've written a little um, driver um, for the Joy-Cons that allows you to read via WebHit the um, the uh, gyroscope and the accelerometer that's such a such a hard word to say um, the uh, accelerometer uh, data and um, like that you could then via just JavaScript events um, code against this uh, application. Um, I have to say I have not written this from scratch. I just looked at um, someone who actually reverse engineered how it works and sort of um, no idea dog what I'm doing. Ported the thing to um, JavaScript. But um, it's sort of working. So um, via the web hit protocol that um, uses hit, as the name suggests, internally, um, you can get access to these uh, APIs. And this is also something um, that Project Fugu is about, like opening up your browser to new devices or just existing devices that you have laying, ar laying around um, that do something, that talk via hit, via serial, via whatever protocol, and um, making it available to the web. I have to say, I'm not much of a hardware person. So a lot of the things that I do or that people do, I don't understand or just, you know, I have to look at someone who has an understanding and then port it over to JavaScript. 
um, by looking mm -hmm. at Linux and C and, you know, guessing what I'm doing. Um, but there's a lot of people who actually do have a lot of insights and uh, they can then just directly talk to these devices and actually know what they're doing. So um, that's pretty cool. And uh, that's definitely something that we want to allow with uh, all our hardware APIs. So there's Bluetooth, there's HID, um, there's Serial, there's MIDI, if you have a MIDI uh, device, <clears throat> there's USB, obviously. So yeah, these are, these are the, the hardware APIs that you can use um, in the context of your project Fugu APIs there. Oh, I was going to say, it's kind of too about like, I think of like the switch, right? When I'm like, oh, I need to connect another controller, right? And I hit, you know, go to the menu in the switch UI, and then I click the buttons, you know, to, to pair. You can't do that on the web, right? You can't like pair a controller with the in-browser UI. You have to like go to the OS, find the Bluetooth drop down, and, and kind of, uh, I guess, hijack in. So that's like a limitation of the web, right? Like I, I can't, I can't be like, let me just ask the network, the Bluetooth network, if there's any controllers around, you know, I can't do that from my website, right? Yeah, correct. So for the switch, um, you first have to pair it using the, um, I'm using a Mac, so using the Mac uh, Bluetooth dialog. And once it's paired, you can then connect to it via the website. So um, the sort of, um, the Bluetooth connection is the one thing and then the um, web hit connection is the other. So um, it's um, sort of piggybacking on top of the um, Bluetooth connection to then talk the hit protocol. As I said, I'm not much of a hardware person, so there's people who can explain this a lot better than I can. Um, but um, once you have this connection, um, the browser then re uh, remembers it so that, um, that um, pairing again in the future is a lot easier. So um, yeah, that's what you can do there. And um, of course, you know what you're expecting. So if you're writing a Joy-Con controller uh, driver, um, you of course know that you're expecting a Joy-Con so you can um, limit the kind of devices that you see. So sometimes um, when you scan for available Bluetooth um, devices, um, it can be hard to find the one that you're actually interested in just because um, when you're surrounded by Bluetooth devices, it's kind of hard to sometimes find the right one. So mm -hmm. there you can just filter and say, I want to search for uh, something that has um, a vendor ID of Nintendo, whatever. And I'm like that. You can just directly filter on the ones that you're interested in. Mm, that's actually a little leg up, I guess, then. Because that you know you're not going to get that filtering probably at the at the OS level, right? It's just going to show yeah, you the just everything. Like... This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Tab Nine. That's tab9.com t-a-b-n-i-n-e.com it's like ai code completion for your codes you're just coding along and there's suggestions for you that are really intelligent and based on your own code it's just really incredible it's free too so you might as well install it and get going on it it really comes to you in that it works in tons of different code editors so vs code of course i'm sure a lot of you are using that but it works in sublime it works in atom it works across a whole slew of different code editors so it comes to you in that way and it comes to you in the form of languages too probably any language that anybody listening to this show is listening to all the web languages like javascript and typescript and uh, uh, css and html and all that but also python and php and go and rust and new stuff like that and it's really powerful so you're just coding along and there'll be autocomplete because you know your code editor is probably helping you with that kind of intellisense autocomplete stuff anyway but then there's tab nine in there too offering its best suggestions of what you want to do and they tend to be more robust and more thoughtful 
thoughtful uh, than your average IntelliSense. Just more code comes out of it. Pretty darn cool. And again, this is free. Just install it, give it a play, and see uh, uh, what you get out of it. Really powerful. Then, you know, there's team accounts too. So you're venturing into paid territory here, you connect it to your own Git repos, and then it learns, it runs that ML model on your code for your team. And then your team members are part of the thing too. And you're all like learning and jiving from each other. So it just gets smarter over time. Uh, really impressive what it's able to do there. I'll, I want to mention one other thing that I think is cool. There's the IntelliSense, like there's the drop down menu and it gives you suggestions that way. But uh, there's a ton of stuff that's configurable about tab nine. And one of them is that you're coding along. It can do the thing where there's like off to the right of your code is like grayed out code. That style of auto completion too. You're like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. Tab or no, that's not what I meant. And you just keep coding and it updates more like other options of what it thinks you might be doing. So it's kind of take it or leave it code completion that I really think is cool. So anyway, thanks for the support, Tab9. That's cool. I'm, I'm interested in those little moments, right? Where the things where the web can do something a little bit better even perhaps. And so some of these APIs are so new that let's say you're Dave and you're developing this game and it's using a gamepad or something. You might look at the web and be like, oh, that's kind of cool that it looks like it's getting there. But is it still fair now that you'd be like, yeah, but I think I'm just going to make the native one because their support is just rock solid, you know? Isn't that, it was that kind of the goal here too is to have people feel like the web support is just as rock solid as native is and even better perhaps when it can be um probably yes so the thing is when people say let's build native in many cases they don't really build native native but they build electron um so this allows them to <laughs> i'm looking at my doc right now i have uh, vs code slack discord notion uh <laughs> spotify and yeah browsers so just want to <laughs> i have one password down there too which oh. said they're going electron now too so that's just huge isn't it just massive how many how many apps are built with web tech yeah absolutely so so electron is a big big topic and um um interestingly they actually um, maintain um, a Fugu compatibility um, spreadsheet too. So um, they have drivers that they can use to talk um, to HIT. I think for, for HIT, for example, they use Node HIT um, as a package internally. Um, once um, the WebHIT API was enabled, um, I think they were looking at sort of um, deprecating their existing Node HIT implementation and then migrating over to the WebHIT API. Um, to um, allow people to do the same things um, that they did before. So um, long story short, I think when people say, let's build native, in many cases, they still sort of build web technology, but just on a lower level stack. Um, so that's something pretty interesting. And um, as I said, um, the um, Electron team, they maintain this Fugu list and uh, they're actually um, sort of active in, in the Fugu world as well. They, they uh, sometimes attend our calls. Um, so it's pretty interesting to like see this native app world still diverge into um, a web world sometimes. And definitely it's a web technology world um, to begin with. Um, but then of course, sometimes actually people still build native native, um, no questions asked there. Um, but um, yeah, we're seeing it less and less. And um, we're seeing people trying to get one code base to do everything like React Native or Electron or whatever. Um, so we see it more and more um, like people building with web technology um, and uh, yeah, still trying to get this native look and feel 
for native, you know, downloading a package from somewhere um, on an installer um, that you can then just double click and be good. Um, but yeah, in the end, um, people just want apps. So um, how they're built, the regular user don't really care about. Um, so that's something we have seen. And uh, if the web experience is good enough and great. Unless you're John Gruber, who really cares. <laughs> but, I mean, there, yeah. there are people who care and they, they, there should be people who do care. Um, it's just in general, um, a lot of people um, on the user side, they don't care much because all they want is an application that, you know, stores their password, uh, passwords, as you just said, uh, Chris, with uh, one passwords or something that just, you know, allows you to to use Slack. Um, so, yeah, I think this is something that um, is, is a trend in general, that people build applications using app, uh, sorry, web-like um, platforms or, or SDKs that then internally even run in a browser that maybe just has bridges to um, some native APIs that are not supported on the web quite yet. I I do want to celebrate. I mean, we're coming up on 10 years of this podcast or whatever, or we're at 10 years, but um, the, you know, I think when we started the idea of recording a podcast in a browser was just a no. It, it was, <laughs> It was LOL, get wrecked, you nerds. Like, it was never, ever going to happen. Ever. Right, Chris? I mean... No way. No way. Never would we do that. Yeah, and even in the early days of it, it it seemed like so hacky and something I would never trust. I mean, literally, we said our 10-year anniversary. It was in our ninth year where we started to have distrust for it. But it's, it's happened pretty quickly now. And now we're just like, oh, yeah, why would we do it any other way? And this is clearly better. Yeah, so now the ability is here that we can actually record in a browser and video conference pretty effectively and and uh, bring guests in and stuff like that. So I, there's like... Uh, yeah, what a march forward for the web, huh? Yeah, we're not using Skype anymore. <laughs> uh, but uh, so like definitely want to celebrate that, you know. Um, and like I said, like a lot of my apps are... Like I know, cause I'm a dork, but I know they're just electron apps. Like they're the, a lot of the daily suite of whatever high quality software is just electron under the hood. So on the desktop anyway, but the, the phone story is a little different, yeah, the right? Phone is there, story is does there a get different? So I don't think there's this big of a runaway winner in use web tech to build native app. Is there? I mean, it used to be PhoneGap, I guess, but is that a thing anymore? No, I don't even know. No, PhoneGap, I guess PhoneGap is mostly deadish now, so it's called Cordova these days. Um, probably deadish is, is, um, is too much, but um, like it's not the number one anymore. So I think React Native is still big. Um, Flutter, obviously, is uh, gaining a lot of traction recently. Um, so I think on Native, uh, on, on, uh, on mobile, um, it's yeah a little different. We have a native script as well, so there's a couple of um, solutions out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as clear as on on desktop where everyone is or most people are using uh, Electron. Yeah, Flutter looks super cool to me, but it feels like it's like a little. It's like you're like there's no CSS in Flutter, you know. So it's not feels like a different language, not not just web tech that gets smooshed over into native somehow. 
let's can we go through a list of of some reasons why why a business might choose native and then see if and see what the future holds now that we have Thomas to to see if there's some answers to these things like like the like the people just want apps thing that we mentioned right they just they don't they don't care um so much right they just want the thing to work they don't care if it's a they're not thinking oh, i only like web apps i mean nobody says that right they just want their thing to work but that means on their mobile device or their tablet probably that there's a little rounded rectangle that is that thing so if i if i'm a business doesn't it stand a reason that i want a little rounded rectangle on there how do i get my little website to be a rounded rectangle on there I think the story is okay on on Android, right? Because it's like you go to a website like once and use it for 30 seconds and you can get a little PWA banner that says, hey, you want to chuck this thing on your, your homepage? That story seems okay to me, although it would be maybe even better if there was an app store that would put them on there. I don't know what the story is there. And that story is freaking awful on Apple, right? It's like you just have to know these eight 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 clicks to click i mean eight is an exaggeration but it's a buried feature to click, put a website Chris, on click the up arrow box scroll down <laughs> to the third screen, screen whatever and then add and even then it's like a weird second class citizen right because it launches a little browser with the website and maybe you don't want to see the browser because it's an app that doesn't need to look at the url and i'm sure there's some choices there but it doesn't feel like a good good to me but I, i've already said too much i kind of want to hear your thoughts on this thomas if you have any otherwise we can um yeah so it's a kind of longish response there so as i said pwas are one big um way how you can address this on android um where you get the install prompt you can even control the um, prompt so that it shows right at the moment that you want to and not at a random time when might not be the best time for you mm. have to be installed um we do have um, the um, something called um, TWA, Trusted Web Activity, um, which is a way for you to get sort of a trusted, as, as the name suggests, a web view where your PWA runs onto um, an Android application so that um, you can use this Android application to then submit it to the Play Store so that you can, with very little effort, get um, a PWA into the Play Store. Um, there's oh, a nice. service even called PWA Builder um, that is run by Microsoft that allows you to submit um, your PWA. Um, it does some magic using a, a tool called BubbleWrap um, and then gives you an APK that you can then submit to the store um, so you can get your um, store there, uh, your, your application on the store there. And um, I guess the final part of my answer is um, PWA Builder also have allowed you to um, get an iOS package so you can download an iOS package and submit it to the App Store. And um, there's a couple of apps that are built with this that are already on the App Store. So on Apple, you can get the same. But um, I would say Apple does get a lot of um, negative negative um, developer feedback for how buried this add to home screen thing is. Um, I think they're getting not enough credit for sort of inventing this because um, before even PWAs were a thing, um, the earliest iPhone supported um, adding to home screen. And, uh, you know, um, Steve Jobs initially had this vision of web apps. And uh, only then in 2008, came uh, they came up with this vision of the App Store. So um, I think they sort of 
have forgotten about it a little bit, um, but it's still there. And uh, it's maybe a little less obvious than it was um, in the past, but it still works great. So once you have educated people to install the application, um, these apps run in full screen and standalone mode. Um, you can, you know, get um, the, the application running with your icon um, and it feels like a real app. There's every now and then uh, a bug um, depending on the operating system version that you're on. But in general, the experience is kind of okay. So of course we wish there were a way for applications to um, trigger, this, trigger this install prompt as an Android. Um, but once people have discovered that they can install applications like that, um, it's working okay. Okay, okay. You're relatively positive about it then. I'll take that. Can I add a a twist to this mm. story? The user wants the icon on the home screen, right? But the marketing department also wants the icon on the home screen, right? Like they want they want whatever Dave Rupert LLC the the icon on Kim Kardashian's phone for whatever reason, you know, they want number of installs in the, they, they want success metrics based on number of installs, you know, like how many people visited the website isn't enough anymore. It's, it's like how many people installed the app, you know? So there's all this kind of, I would argue it's kind of perverse. It's, it's just these metrics are driving our decisions rather than like metrics informing our decisions. But like how how do we combat that how, how how can i walk in a meeting and everyone's like all right we're 2022 we're gonna do the new we're gonna reboot the app you know and i'm like how about website you know i'm just gonna get laughed out of the meeting so how does that work because so, the marketing team wants the metrics right they absolutely do yes um i've worked um so before i became a developer advocate on the chrome team i was working in a team uh in google that was working with big partners of uh, of Google, and um, we were advocating for um, web applications. And yeah, definitely, these kind of marketing team questions come up a lot. Um, so the thing is, you can, if you want to track installs, you can still track that. Um, so there's a way for you to measure if your application was run as a PLVA or if it was run as a regular in-browser application. You can, of course, just track the actual um, install like operation per se. Um, which is not very meaningful because in the end, um, if someone installs an application and forgets forgets about it, um, how much worth is that really? Um, I do know that a lot of marketing departments still look at this number of how many people have installed our application. We always say you should be looking for how many people are actually using your application because this is a way more meaningful number. Um, you can get both numbers uh, using the web as well. Um, I think a big, big problem also is... Um, App Store discoverability. So people just, or we have ed- educated people to um, search for brand name on a, on a store and then expect them to find the app. Um, I've tried that recently for a new TV that I bought from, um, it's, a, it's just a Samsung TV. And um, I was looking for the Samsung app that goes along with this TV. Have you tried that? It's incredibly hard because they're uh, running apps for Samsung Korea and Samsung Germany and Samsung uh, North America and Samsung what have you. And there's people who build, I don't know, the Samsung uh, app for, um, sorry, the manual app for Samsung so you can get manuals, but this is not even from Samsung. So it's getting a lot harder uh, to actually find those applications. Um, And in many cases, people have started on the website 
Um, and then they were asked to install the app from the store and then they try to find it on the store. And sometimes it can be a real hassle to actually then find it. So um, app store presence and discoverability is a big topic as well. But then also um, this entire thing of um, presence on the home screen. So I was working with a customer in the past and they had an agency and this agency said, it's all about screen real estate. So rather than having one app that did everything, um, which would be the uh, reasonable thing for this particular type of customer to do, they had several apps for each sub thing that you could do with this particular customer. Um, so if you were to install this, instead of just one icon, you had five icons on your home screen. So it was all about you know presence and screen real estate so that um, people would be opening their phone and or unlocking their phone and seeing these five icons and then reminding themselves, oh, I have to do this and that task. So I better use this and that app from this and that uh, customer. So um, yeah, it's it's just something that we observe and uh, it's, it's annoying. Um, on the web, of course, the same can happen. So people can still, uh, I don't know, organize their business in subdomains and uh, for each subdomain, create their own PWA. Um, and sometimes for technical reasons, they have to because we don't have something called scope extensions quite yet. It's a feature we're working on. Um, but right now, every uh, PWA is uh, limited to just one scope. Um, so, mm. yeah, long story short, um, I think there is a lot of reasons for people to um, yeah, build a lot of icons and get a lot of icons on their home screens with web, but also with native and especially with native. Sounds like the HP printer uh, CD, <laughs> like when you <laughs> install HP software and like seven icons show up or like dell oem software the new the new dell feel that's where definitely we're rings a bell yes i, I didn't want to uh, mention brand names but yes <laughs> we've all been there right? it's okay i'll <laughs> mention the brand names you keep your job it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's fine it's fine i'll i'll sacrifice my <laughs> client service business no um no i think that's like a good point. I, like I, I think discoverability is is a huge one. That's one thing you mentioned in your post, right, Chris? It was just like there's an app store, so like you can, and being in that top ten of the app store, I know for games that's like critical. Like if you're in the top ten of games, gajillion downloads. But if you're in the bottom ten, zero downloads. You know, like the the fall yeah, off pretty is dramatic. so huge. So like even. To the point, like we, again, the incentives are like messing up the reality. It's like people just go hire click farms in Indonesia or wherever and like to install the, it's, it's more money to like, I spend money to pay people to install my app so that I stay on the list of cool apps, you know, like, yeah, I wonder how, I mean, I don't know. It's not like the app store is the only place for discoverability though. And that even if you're native only, and that's the, you have to download it from the app store because it's the only way to actually get the app app, you probably still have a website and your website can have stuff on it, including a big call to action link that kicks you over to the app store to get it. But that's a potential for SEO and content stuff to get, you know, it's not like if I'm not high in the app store, it's the only possible way to be seen. You could, there's other games to be played 
for findability, you know? But it does seem to be like, because I think we talked about this in terms of TikTok the other day and that TikTok is primarily a native app. Like it's way fast on your phone. However, it can, you know, you just click that thing and boom, it's playing videos for you. Or you go to the, but they have chosen to make a web app as well. Like there are both, but they have lots of money, right? They're they're bigger than Google now, they say, right? Yeah, right. But the web app is like 45 seconds of white screen. <laughs> it's the worst, but they built it anyway because what, because URLs, right? Right. right. Because, because then I can send you an iMessage with a, with a TikTok in it and it will, maybe if the app's installed, it will open the native app, but nobody's excluded. You know, you send it to grandma or whatever who doesn't have TikTok installed. I'm sure she will soon, but that it will still open that video in a browser and it will still work. So they still chose to do that route. So many apps. It seems to me the more money you have, the, the chances of you doing both are really high. You don't like have to make the choice when you're rich as a business. You just do both. <laughs> and um, people people definitely do use uh, PWAs or just random websites as the uh, gateway drug to the native application. Um, so you may um, remember um, Photoshop on the web that was launched uh, recently. Um, they obviously are a big native application that has been around forever. Um, but something that they shared with us was um, for a lot of um, quick editing tasks, um, people didn't feel like firing up the native application. So if someone just wanted to you know, remove a background from an image, um, firing up the application was something that was causing a lot of uh, friction. So as I say, um, URLs are a superpower. So people would be passing around URLs of uh, images, for example. And um, with the Photoshop on the web uh, application, people could then just um, launch um, Photoshop in a browser tab, load this particular image um, that someone has sent via URL, for example, paste it into the application, make the modification, and then just directly go back to the whatever chat application that they got the image URL from and um, send the edited image back. So um, this is sort of very interesting because um, Photoshop on the web right now is not a PWA in the sense of um, they are not installable um, per se. So they, of course, you can still create the shortcut, um, but they don't prompt um, for, for installation. Um, I think technically it's not even implemented quite yet um, because it's not offline enabled. Um, but their flow was um, this entire, for small edits, just use the web app for big, massive edits, fire up the native application and be good. Um, you said something about URLs um, before, um, and on the Fugu team, we work on uh, a feature around URLs as well. So um, let's say you have um, a music player app uh, installed, um, Spotify, YouTube Music, uh, Deezer, whatever, and um, it's running as a, as a PWA, and um, someone sends you a link to their latest uh, favorite song, for, for example. Um, in the old days, um, it was not possible to open up um, the PWA from a link. But now um, there's a new feature where you can just pass a link and say this particular family of links, so example.com slash whatever star, um, should be handled by the PWA. That is um, the uh, URL handler for this particular URL um, pattern. So that's something we have uh, implemented. And um, I think it's one of these power features that people, that people will see um, oh, wow, a web app can do that. And I can just um, double-click a link um, or click a link uh, anywhere from any kind of application, be it um, the um, old-school Skype client or be it um, something web-based or be it an email that they get with a link. Um, 
all these different targets will then all open the PWA experience. So um, I think just recognizing these small use cases and um, friction that was introduced by apps sometimes opening in a browser tab and sometimes you know, um, launching an application that you wouldn't want or didn't want um, is something that uh, adds a lot of um, yeah, smoothness to how people experience PWAs. Um, another cool feature um, is the uh, ability for a web application to register as a um, file handler. So you could say, I have an extension um, example um, dot example. Um, so in your file explorer, you can then say, I want to open a dot example file and it would open with the example PWA. Um, so you can even become the default handler for this. So you can say in um, the Mac OS Finder, you can say, um, I want this PWA to become the default handler for dot example file. So when you double click one of those, um, the PWA would open right away uh, and not open in a browser tab. And um, like this ability to do this from a web app is, is really super powerful because um, we've seen this with applications like um, Excalidraw. That's pretty popular um, cartoon style drawing app. And they have the extension dot Excalidraw. And um, mm. once people get into this flow of just double clicking an application, um, Icon, um, launching the application, or sorry, uh, double clicking a file, launching the application, making uh, the edit, and then going back to the saved file using the file system access API to save this um, modification right onto the open file. Um, they forget that they're using a web application just because it feels so natural. It's, it's just integrated very well in the operating system. And uh, I think this is a tendency we see recently with uh, PWAs where especially Microsoft, because they um, run the Microsoft Store that has PWAs um, as part of the listing uh, options. Um, we're seeing Microsoft push the boundary a lot with uh, what is possible there. Um, but of course, um, we have Chrome OS um, in, in Google as well. So we're also working on making the experience from going from a um, file, for example, to an application that is a web application um, a lot smoother than it has been in the past. Yeah, that's really great. That even from your local machine, some file that's just sitting on your computer called .dave, you could just even double click it. Is that even going to work? How do you teach the operating system which PWA it's associated with? Doesn't the operating system need to kind of like okay that? <laughs> it definitely needs to. Um, so in your web, web app manifest, you say um, my application can handle um, files with this and that extension or the, with this and that uh, MIME type. Mm -hmm. And then once you install the application um, and uh, you, for the first time, open a file type, it says, do you want to have this particular PWA handle this and that file? Oh, I um, see. You can then say yes for just one time or yes always. Um, so it's definitely gated by a prompt. Uh, it is not just that any random drive-by website can become the default uh, handler for, I don't know, the text files or like... I remember yeah. the, like these, you install real tech, uh, what's it called, real player, and um, all of a sudden, real player, oh, I see you nodding. <laughs> so real player was horrible. Um, it became the default handler for any kind of audio files. Um, mm. And no questions asked. Like on Windows, you could just do that. and was so annoying. And um, on the web, of course, we don't want to repeat those, uh, th those errors uh, that we saw a lot of companies do. Oh, yeah, right. There's got to be some kind of prompt, even a pretty bold one, because, you know, it could be an app idea to be like, you know, get somebody to install something and be like, I'm your new handler for .docx files. And the app just 
opens it and emails it or <laughs> and sends its contents to me, you know, or whatever, you know, it could be a security thing, but you know, there's lots of things that are security things, right? And a big, a big way to fight that is a big prompt that says, is this okay? I just think about like markdown files and editors. I mean, you know, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, that'd be a nice one. Have a, yeah, have a proper app for your .mds. Sure. There's all kinds of apps fighting for that one on my machine, you know? And I always am annoyed by when, when apps take it over. I'd almost rather have a... It just feels like such a web-first format that I'd rather have a web app do it. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CodePen, and I'm here to tell you to go pro on CodePen. CodePen Pro is is awesome now, and it's only going to get way, way more awesome, I happen to know, as I, you know, work on and get to decide those features. I'm so excited about the future of CodePen Pro, but of course, as we do that, eventually, over time, CodePen Pro is going to get more expensive, so you might as well get on one of those grandfather plans, that's what I'm saying, you know? But uh, of course, today, you get a bunch of features as well. You can, uh, a big one is privacy and that you can make your pens and collections and projects private on CodePen, meaning that nobody can see it unless you very explicitly share the URL with them. That's a big one. Let's say you need an image in a pen. You drag and drop an image. We'll host the image for you and we'll optimize it and we can resize it for you if you want. All these great, serve it in the right formats and all that stuff. Things that can happen just with URL parameters for your images uh, and other assets that you upload to CodePen. We'll handle all of that for you. It's a pro feature. And there's there's things like collab mode, working in real time with other people on it, and a bunch of more features. Upgrade to Pro at CodePen.io slash features slash pro. We got another little list to get through, though. Let's do a few more, and then I want to talk about an app that Thomas created because that's pretty cool and it gives us some some framing for some of this stuff too. I'm curious. Let, let's say you do it. You know, you we solve the rounded rectangle thing, and you get you get it on there, and you open that thing up. It's still a like it's using like on Android, it's using Chrome, right? Like it's just like a little isolated version of it, or I don't even know how isolated it is. It's kind of the same story on on iOS. I think you get a little you get a little web view instance to to run your little app in. But I find that, for example, let's say you're going to do that with Twitter. You know, I go to twitter.com in Safari and then add it to my home screen rather than using their native app. Say that it's not going to like hold on to my login credentials as well. At least that's what it seems like to me that web apps, you know, they, your cookies expire faster or whatever, rather than I open up Twitter on my phone. I'm just the native app. I am just forever logged into it. It never seems to lose that credential. And that's one of those like little use cases, one of those little like rough patches in the road that, I don't know, just that is is enough to get me to install the native app sometimes, that login thing. Is there any kind of stories happening there? Do I just have it wrong? Or There's, on, on iOS, um, they are very clearly separated. So um, your login story on the browser is something different from your login story um, once you install the application. Um, on Android, it's different. On Android, we share the same um, um, context. So when you're logged into the web app, um, you're also logged in into the uh, installed Native. experience. Really? Oh, that's great. That's um, a big so, bonus yeah, this, for Android. This should, this should work. Um, 
expiring uh, sessions are annoying, super annoying indeed. Um, it's essentially just what it boils down to um, the app developers and how they choose to expire their sessions. Um, I'm, uh, I have installed the uh, Twitter PWA on iOS and it's running uh, without interruption um, on iOS. I didn't have to log in again. The only thing that is annoying about it is I live in Europe, so I get cookie banners every now and then. Um, so Twitter informs me regularly that they use cookies, which is, you know, big surprise. So I say yes. And um, then a couple of weeks later, it reappears. So I'm still not sure why they forget that I said, yes, cookies are fine. Um, but for the login session, um, it has never expired so far. So um, I think it's if you experience that, it's, it's just uh, something that they choose to because someone told them, you know, it's more secure to expire your sessions every other day or whatever. <clears throat> but um, technically, there's no reason why it should be expiring um, longer or shorter on the web than on native. I, is it? I, I think it's just like culture, right? Like, I mean, I, I think every best practice is like, don't do user sessions longer than two weeks, you know, like if you're creating a user system. But yeah. then when phones came out, we were like, well, that's somebody's phone. They're not using it on the library computer. You know, there's no library phone. Or, so that's assuming so. a cookie login, which is fine, right? Like maybe that's how it works. I'm sure tons of websites do it that way. Some websites use JWT, which is a little different, goes into a little different storage place, right? I don't know. What else? Like, is it just is it just that only? Like, under what other circumstances can you lose that login status? Is it like nothing? Or is there, does the OS get involved and flush them at some point or not really? I don't know. I don't think there's anything that would like kick you out of a, a lock-in session. Um, there's storage. Um, so if, if you're running out of storage, um, some of your cached items can be um, purged from the cache. Um, once it tackles your cookies, I guess this is really uh, the worst case. And I don't think this is, this actually is, is, is happening. Okay. Okay. So all it takes really to have a website that you log in for a long time is you just set the cookie extra. You just, I, I think it's really just that. It's a developer um, 12 billion. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> max like, age. Like there might be. Nine, nine. What, what, what you said, Dave, um, there might be still this people passing phones around. Um, maybe this is happening less in um, the developed world, um, but maybe more in the emerging uh, world where people um, share one phone with family members. So. It might be just a global thing that people um, or developers see. Um, people are using a rat from, um, let's say, India, um, where we know this this is something that ha that's happening, where people share a family phone and they pass it around. Um, so this might be a reason. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's any technical reason why a, a session would have to expire. We had we, I had a client, um, and they had max session two hours. And we said, that's low. <laughs> but the security team was like, we take credit cards, dude. So it's not, you know? So I think the idea was like somebody could like yoink a computer and just whatever, rack up a bill. Um, and, you know, so I, maybe there's a payment story mixed into all this, you know, too, that we're not thinking of, you know, like, because I have to fingerprint mm -hmm. ID to to pay with my phone but i 
don't with the website. You know, I know there's web payments API. I mean, kind of, but I have the Amazon app on my phone and I open it up and I'm logged in does, forever. Does your daughter I'm ever never... buy stuff? <laughs> no, she could. So that is a concern, right? But can you imagine Amazon making that choice? Right. Be like, oh, you every time you buy something, you have to put in your password. That would just crush their sales. It would just be a disaster for them. I can't say it's right. I, I just, But it is just, I think it's like just decisions people made and then, you know, do I have the organizational fortitude to battle the security team for the next no. 20 years of my life? Dude, Jerry. Oh, Jerry's a beast. He's, I don't want to get into an argument with Jerry. Jerry, bit of a curmudgeon. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, um, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have more? Well, there's offline stuff, but we are, we kind of covered that with the, with the, with PWA because PWA in like, you literally have to have a service worker to have a PWA. Do you not? I think that's a requirement. I don't know that it has to necessarily store things in an offline cache, but now that you got the service worker, at least you have the tech available to do that if you wanted to. So the offline support is certainly a possibility with PWA land. I don't know that it's as straightforward as it is in native app land where you kind of just don't have to worry about offline versus online. I mean, I guess you do to some degree, but at least your rounded rectangle when you tap it is like definitely going to do something uh, in, in native app land. So I, I don't know. I don't want to dwell on that so much because we're running out of time and I want to talk about this. Thomas, you made an app called uh, SVG something. Code.de. SVG code. Yes, and if I think I have it right, that it uh, it takes a vector or a a raster graphic and turns it into a vector graphic. Woo, that is fancy! And of course, you made it a website. Yes, sorry, is um, for a long time there um, there was this uh, service called Poetrace. Uh, it's a command line uh, tool for, as I say, converting raster images into um, SVGs or other vector uh, based formats like EPS. And, um, I've always needed this, and uh, like I always went to random websites, and uh, sometimes you end up having a great conversion, and then before you want to actually download it, um, the app wants you to uh, sign up for the service. I'm like, ah, oh, come on! I did all this work, I converted it, converted it, and um, now I can't use it because you want me to sign up or even pay. So yeah, I always ended up um, searching for a couple of services until eventually one would work, and. Um, it's always feeling a little sketchy uploading your stuff to a random service because you never quite know what are they going to do with it. So, um, yeah, I had this uh, library in my head called Poetrace um, built by uh, someone called Peter Selinger. And um, I went and said, like, is there a way maybe to use this in a web application? And uh, um, Jake Archibald from my team has built something similar um, based on SVG uh, Go um, that is for... Um, optimizing SVGs. So there was the command line tool that was converted into, um, I think not even VASMA. I think it's just a, yeah, it's, it's just a direct uh, JavaScript port. And um, Jake just built um, the um, GUI around it. So that's essentially what I did with uh, SVG code. Um, I wanted to make all the um, settings that you have on this command line tool um, available and just allow people to playfully, um, yeah, check these different settings and um, I don't know, move sliders around and directly see the impact that it has on the application. Um, yeah, of course, being on the Fugu team, I had to use a couple of uh, Fugu APIs where it made, made sense. So yeah, that's what I did. So um, this application mm -hmm. now uses um, the file system access API. It uses the async clipboard API. Um, it's using 
a pretty cool feature called window controls overlay, which allows you to sort of get rid of the title bar and just move up your entire uh, content into the title bar area, which is something um, that a lot of um, native applications do. Like um, if you think, um, I don't know, if you think, uh, let's say the Spotify uh, native app that has sort of a search bar in the title bar area. So mm -hmm. you can do that um, on the web as well. And um, yeah, for now, um, it allows you to um, optimize your screen real estate so that you have um, less um, wasted space on your app and uh, yeah, get more actually usable screen real estate back. So um, yeah, that's it. And of course, you can also... How does um, that work though? Does it, is it as in a future version of Chrome or is it in stable Chrome now? That little... that. It title is about in. to be uh, shipped. Um, so there's an origin trial going on where you can test it with real real users. Um, I think it's coming out in uh, 99, if I'm not mistaken. So wow. um, the core idea is um, you just say, um, hey, my app supports this, which means um, the browser will get rid of the title bar, which means everything will shift up, but then it will sort of disappear. The content will disappear behind the window controls like the... Um, minimize, maximize, close button, and so on. So there's some CSS environment variables that allow you to say, um, what is the, um, I forgot how it's called, like what is the what is the title bar inset and so on, so that you can yeah. um, move and model your uh, content around this so that um, your content appears in the title bar area without being uh, covered by the title bar controls. Um, interestingly, this is also where operating systems come into play because um, the way Windows work on um, Mac versus on Windows is different. So um, the controls are on different side of the window on Mac versus on Windows. So having this all in CSS and having it all just as an abstract um, environment, a set of environment variables, allows you to very flexibly react to how the particular operating system um, is built. So that's a pretty cool feature, and um, I like it a lot. Yeah, there's a, in a list of part article breaking out of the box by Patrick Brosset, uh, Brosset, uh, and you know, he's like, what can we do with 30 pixels? And you think like, oh, it's just 30 pixels, whatever. But man, it just makes the difference. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's like a tailor made coat versus a, a coat you bought at Walmart or something. So it's just that <laughs> it's just that different. Um, it's cool. I love this website. It's the coolest thing. Yeah, absolutely. This, this article was great. Um, Patrick is from Microsoft, and uh, I think Microsoft even entirely built this. Um, yeah, so sometimes um, on my team, we just take the uh, pleasure or have the pleasure of documenting stuff. So I wrote the article on web.dev. Um, Patrick uh, wrote the article um, on a list of hard. Um, yeah, the more the merrier. So the more we can get the word out about these features, um, I think the more apps will use them. And uh, in the end, for us, it's all about usage. It's not um, usage in Chrome. For us, it's really usage in browsers on the web. And um, it can be whatever browser. Um, if if I did a job of just making people use a feature in Chrome, I would do a bad job because, as I said, um, in the end, this is about the web. It's not about the web in Chrome. It's about the web. Um, so can I ask one more question? I don't want to end on a bummer, right? Uh, so I feel, But I feel like if we don't talk about it, the big elephant in the room a little bit like uh, Apple blogged or on their blog, WebKit about they're not going to support some of these Fugu APIs. Like I think there's like 16 of them, Bluetooth, MIDI, which is terrible for keyboardists. Uh, um, 
NFC stuff like this. And, um, you know, and I know you can't like speak for Apple. You can't be like, you know, talk about them, but has that shifted the plan? Has that all, cause I think Mozilla said the same thing. Brave maybe said the same thing. Has that shifted y'all's plans kind of going forward for Fugu and what you're trying to achieve or how are you adapting to this kind of, I don't know, brake pumping, if you will. Um, so I think we, we have to say um, whatever um, any vendor says, we don't want to support something. Um, they have given us very valid arguments. So sometimes we, we may not agree with these arguments, um, but I guess in almost all cases, this discussion around um, should a certain feature be supported on the web has definitely helped the shape of this feature, feature to improve. Um, so part of our shipping process is asking other vendors for their opinion. And um, we won't stop if they say no, but um, we will definitely definitely take their um, arguments into account. We will look at them. Um, sometimes our security story would be just a different one. Um, sometimes we don't agree with something being as much of a threat than uh, another browser vendor security team um, wants or makes something to, to be. Um, but in general, um, yeah, we listen to everyone. So we don't um, let us stop, but um, we will less listen for, for everyone's opinion. And um, sometimes, yeah, as I said, we don't agree with those. Um, but um, yeah, in, in general, all the um, browser vendors have great people on these on these teams, on the security teams, on the um, engineering teams. And um, yeah, they build stuff. And uh, of course, sometimes there's different motivations that even sometimes um, the vendors themselves can't uh, talk about um, because maybe they're running a big uh, native app store business. I don't know. <laughs> there might be uh, some vendors in the uh, space out there, but um, there's a lot of uh, great discussion definitely with uh, the uh, engineers on the on the particular browser vendors teams. Does that discussion mean that it's a no for now, but it's being talked about intelligently with reasons, and that seems to open the door that maybe then the API could change a little bit such that everyone then does agree that it's a good idea because the original concerns have been addressed. Is that like a possible outcome? This is definitely a possible outcome. And uh, Apple, um, so we can say this because uh, Apple have publicly said, said so, um, Apple builds features um, that they think make sense on the web if uh, developers want to use them. So um, they are working with Adobe as well. Um, Adobe has said that they talked to Apple about Photoshop on the web. And um, as we said before, um, it's um, using the file system access API for some features. Um, and Apple have been convinced by the use case that um, Adobe have brought forward that um, they need certain subsets of the file system access API. And um, in the particular case, um, it was about something called the origin private file system. So it's a file system that is private to the origin. You don't have to think about it um, as files on your hard disk. Um, it's somewhere deeply hidden on your, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, on, on your uh, browser profile. Um, it's not meant for looking at these files as a user. It's just files that get represented to the web application as files. And um, Adobe uses this internally for essentially as a massive swap file, where um, if you have a big Photoshop image, um, that they could easily swap an image from in-memory to uh, disk memory. So they've essentially, uh, as I said, built sort of a swap file. And um, now um, Apple is, is implementing this. And uh, initially it was spec'd in just one spec, the File System Access API spec, that also includes the picker methods. 
um, so show open file picker, show um, show save file picker, and so on, um, that Apple didn't implement. And um, because this situation occurred, um, the spec was split. So um, now we have a, a spec that is based on these discussions um, that are fruitful with um, the other vendor, um, just partially implemented because this can't be. Um, the spec was split into two. And um, now um, we have sort of the origin private file system spec. Um, it, it has a different name um, in the watch uh, WG. And we have the file system access API spec with the picker methods um, that yeah has sort of been stripped away um, off the, or stripped off the, um, the other origin private file system uh, methods. So I think in this case, um, definitely through this discussion and through this carefully listening for arguments on either side, on, on either side, also listening for just um, use cases that um, people have brought forward and companies that have brought forward, um, where we have in the end a better um, result that is something that everyone can live with. Do, do origin trials help this? Because hey, Adobe, if you want to do dangerous stuff or potentially privacy invasive stuff like access file systems, great, get in line for this key. Like, does this feature may never come out to everybody, but if you have a key, you can use this feature. Is that something like that's kind of helping or uh, I guess mitigating some risk there? Um, absolutely. So origin trials have the objective of making sure that um, we build stuff that is right. Um, so if you build something that is sort of doing what is what it says on the tin, but um, it has certain flaws, and, and we were to ship this from the start, um, people would end up coding against this. And um, once something is um, on the web, um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to, to take it back. So you have to keep uh, compatibility, compatibility um, up. But um, if you just ship something as an origin trial, sort of the expectation is stuff is going to break. So whatever API shape you code against now might not be the final shape. Um, it might still be, but there's a very high chance that some aspects of the API will break or will change before the feature ships eventually. So this helps us test with real users um, and real developers how um, a certain API will behave once it's in actual developers' hands. And um, on our team internally, we call ourselves like sometimes customer zero. So we try stuff on small internal play samples and demos and stuff um, that we do for articles. Um, but then once it goes out to actual companies like Adobe or whatever, um, people who sign up for these origin trials, um, of course, they have different expectations. They have different backgrounds. And um, they have a different set of problems that they encounter in the real world. So they give us feedback and they say, um, look, um, the spec says it should do X, but actually it should be X prime because blah, blah, blah. This is our use case. And um, this is what we were expecting. Um, so origin trials allow us to address this feedback and set everyone's expectations. So um, if you think back to um, Mozilla implementing WebKit vendor prefixes, this is stuff that we don't want to happen. And uh, <laughs> this is why we have origin trials, so that we can have an origin trial where people still can build stuff that is in production on real users' um, browsers, but without baking it into the platform before it, um, yeah. it is too late. And they say, um, line up to get a key. Actually, um, just going to the website origin trials and uh, getting uh, signing up for an origin trial is something that everyone can do. So there's no, 
you have to be a big company or you, there's no, you have to have X users minimum. Um, everyone can really sign up for these origin trials. It's, it's a very low friction process. You uh, add a meta tag to your website. And then if people run it in a com compatible browser, the browser sort of will just enable this API in the current shape of the origin trial. And um, yeah, once the origin trial is over, um, you don't even have to change in the worst case. Uh, you can just leave it um, if you want to. Um, nothing will break because the API will just not be supported anymore. But keys can be like reverted if, if I was doing bad guy stuff, stealing credit cards or whatever. You could yoink my origin trial, right? Is that That's not something we can do? Um, so in this case, I think the, the key is really just um, a token that um, encodes. This is the origin. This is the API that you signed up for. Um, I think some metadata about what is the expected usage that you see, um, and this is encoded in a token. So if someone steals this token, nothing really happens because the token is bound to the origin of um, your site. So even if someone steals your token, puts it in their meta, um, meta tags on their websites, it will just be an invalid token that is not valid for this particular um, origin. So it can you, you can just you know uh, shout out your token into the wild and nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. Okay, interesting. Well, cool. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. This kind of I don't know. Do you think it's helped you, Chris? Feel get vibes about web native? Yeah, it does. It does. There's some there's some points here. To, to 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 really dwell on some things that I kind of got wrong in my original post, which I is nice to know, you know, uh, and some things I missed and some things that's that's interesting. I'm so glad that this exists, you know. That's that there's there's like people and with the backing of giant company that are like, ah, oh, we intend to make this better, you know. So the web really does have some superpowers, right? Like we didn't even mention the fact that, but but but, but why? Well, because if you write a website, it can run on any platform that I don't have to worry about. Like, what's a native app look like on Linux or whatever? I'm like, that just works because it's a website and the URL just resolves because it's a website. There's all these like old, great things <laughs> about the web. And that's what I want to hold on to. Not to mention that I don't have to write the app six times or whatever. Like, please, please let the web win for that reason alone. I agree. Well, Thomas, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, before you leave, how can people follow you and give you money? <laughs> give me money. I guess my company gives me money, so um, people should not be giving me money. Um but um, yeah, how people can reach out. Um, I guess Twitter is a pretty common way for reaching me. Um, so we run a Chromium Dev account on Twitter where um, it's just, you know, the, the Chromium team. Chromium Dev is uh, the Twitter handle. My private account is Tomayak, uh, so T-O-M-A-Y-A-C, um, which is also my uh, domain name, my GitHub. Um, and if you want to reach me by mail, you can also do that. It's uh, just tomac at google.com, T-O-M-A-C at google.com. Um, it's not a secret. Um, everyone uh, yeah, is really open on the team for communication uh, and feedback requests. So yeah, definitely do reach out. Don't be a stranger. Um, we are all friendly people. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for the invite and uh, let, letting me um, talk about all this because I hope that you you could see that um, I'm really bleeding for this stuff. Um, I like the web. I want the web to win. Um, I don't want necessarily native to lose. I think there's still a lot of use cases where, where native makes a lot of sense. But for most use no. cases, um, the <laughs> web kidding. does make 
just more sense. And this is where we want to go, uh, where we want to go with uh, with Project Fugu and uh, allow people to do just that. Well, cool. Um, well, and you have a lot of good writing up at web.dev. Everybody go sub to that in the RSS if you're not already. And um, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Just be sure to start favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter for 16 tweets a month. Uh, we're going to resume videos over on the CSS Tricks uh, YouTube probably. I don't know. We haven't talked about it, Chris, but I'm just putting that out there. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, so we're getting back into it, baby. Oh, yeah, 2022. And then uh, Joyce for the ride to episode 500. And uh I'm trying to think. Uh, Chris, is there anything else you'd like to say? Oh, Joyce in the Discord. Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Shop talk show.com. <laughs>